Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? A comics podcast for the Savage Critics website. Welcome to 2012, and welcome to episode 69. Graham McMillan and I are experimenting with podcast length, and so have given you a done-in-one-hour-and-50-minute chat stravaganza. In it, we talk Christmas presents, ethical dilemmas, Daredevil number 7, the first part of Batman, Leviathan Strikes, the fourth issues of Justice League, Wonder Woman, and Batman, tales designed to thrizzle, Popats by Ethan Reilly, the annotated Sandman, and the insanity that is Crying Freeman. If you have an opinion about the podcast length or the number of installments or just want to mouth off, we invite you to drop us a line at waitwhatpodcast at gmail.com. We hope you enjoy, and as always, thanks for listening. Jeff Lester. Graham McMillan, did you get a new headset? No, I get a new computer. <gasps> what? <laughs> Do I sound totally different? Totally different, dude. Totally different. You know what's completely blowing my mind? What? I've got a new computer, so I have a new version of Skype. Because I finally am not working off a five-year-old version of Mac OS. Right. Um, and so it no longer sings to me. It's a tune. It goes doo 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 which is you know all very well and nice, but it's no. You have an incoming call from Jeff Lester. Maybe you can. I'm gonna, that. I'm gonna miss I that. Know. I really am gonna. Do miss you think that. it's gone forever? I think it is. I think it's because, like I said, I had a five-year-old version of macOS, and let's face it, a five-year-old version of Skype because right. I couldn't upgrade. <laughs> Oh this, this is what I've discovered. So I have my new computer, and I'm finally able to do all the upgrades that my computer has honestly been saying, you you can't do that for, <laughs> for so long. I, I boot up everything, and I'd be like, there's an update available. Would you like to send loads? And I'd be like, sure. And it, two minutes or so, and then I'd be like, I'm sorry, you just can't do that. Your computer's a piece of shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've had that too. And then you're just kind of like, okay, then, I guess as long as you're supporting my piece of crap version... Yeah, I, I, I guess I'm fine. Yeah. And then you get then you get a new computer, and you're like, holy shit, everything is different. <laughs> yeah, so tell me about your computer. I assume it's a new Mac. What is it? It's a new Mac. It's a MacBook Air. Ooh. Uh, which is like, wor- it feels really fragile. It's so yeah. light and so thin. I honestly think that at some point, if I pick it up the wrong way, it's just going to fold over. Right, right, right. Um, but does it seem pretty robust? I mean, you in a way you can't really tell. I'm sure it's so much faster than a oh, it's it's, it's hilariously faster uh, <laughs> to the point where on Tuesday, which is the first day I was back at work properly, and mm-hmm. the first day I was really doing stuff in the new computer, uh, I had what would have been an unproductive day in in the old computer world, but because my new computer is so much faster, mm-hmm. I got so much more done. <laughs> And it's really small things. It's like load time of pages or uh, uploading images or editing images. Mm -hmm. All of that is so much faster. It makes a world of difference. Wow. Wow. Well, I got to say, it's really pushing through. You sound so... um, It's weird because you sort of, on the one hand, sound a little focused. So it almost sounds more like I'm talking to you like on a phone. Um, but there's so much less echo in things too. It's just it sounds really. It'll be it's, curious to it's see. The same headset. It's it's really weird. Yeah, no, but it's which is amazing because of course back in the day I was always half convinced. I'm not even sure your headset worked, Graham. I, I you know on your computer, I'm pretty <laughs> sure it was your internal microphone that was actually picking you up half the time. So um, yeah, this is completely different. This does sound like you're on a headset, and wow. 
Well, congratulations. That's a nice little, was that a Christmas present from it, Kate? It, or from it was a Christmas present from Kate, yeah. Wow. That um, is really awesome. This hilarious story behind this Christmas present is, Kate actually told someone when we were out to dinner what she was getting me for Christmas. Mm-hmm. Um, by when we were out to dinner, I mean, I was sitting with Kate and this person. <laughs> And so, like, maybe a couple of days later, I'm like, I make some reference to it. Uh-huh. But I don't come out and say it. I don't say, so you're getting a MacBook Air, but I said something. I can't remember what it was. And Kate got, like, appalled. How do you know what I've gotten you for Christmas? And I, <laughs> you, you said it out loud right in front of my face. And Kate went into spectacular, like, denial mode for the next two weeks. Where she was like, she's like, you didn't hear anything. And I was like, I know. I know what I heard. Plus, I know. How could I not know if I hadn't heard? Oh, man, that's amazing. That's hilarious. Um, well, my goodness. Well, Merry Christmas. That sounds that sounds like an awesome present and, of course, an awesome story behind the present, which is just as good. So uh, it, is, it is indeed an awesome present. It's not an awesome story, but it's all I've got. That and the um, getting rained on that I emailed your story yesterday. And oh, that's yeah. it. That's it for my stories. Oh, well, that's that's all right. You don't need to have a lot. Although, are you going to retell that story for the listeners when we start talking about the books? or, or... Oh, I, sh- I should probably like admit, I haven't read mm-hmm. this week's books um, because we're recording this on Thursday. Yes. Um, and for the Wednesday, I, I should – I'll rewind way back. December in Portland up until Christmas Day was unseasonably good weather. Mm-hmm. Really disturbingly – I mean, it wasn't incredibly warm, but it was just beautifully sunny. Uh, there was n- the the rain was not there that is normally here, and everyone was commenting on it. Everyone was saying, "You know, this is a great December. Oh my God, wh- this can't stay. What's going to happen?" Ha 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 ha. Well, on Christmas Day, um, it was like, "Hey, it's time to rain," and then uh, yesterday and today, it's kind of kind of as if the weather had like a quota of the amount of rain that it had for the month and it suddenly realized that the end of the month was coming up and so yesterday and today the official meteorological term for it is raining like a motherfucker it's (laughs) so insanely wet Um, and so yesterday I thought stupidly A. it can't be that bad and B. I should really go to the comic store I didn't go the week of Christmas you know, we're recording the podcast tomorrow. I want to read some comics. I'm going to go to the comic store. You know, it's I'll take the back roads. It's more, you know, it's kind of sheltered. There's, it, it'll be fine. How bad can it be? Right. And the answer is really, really, really bad. <laughs> uh, really, <laughs> astonishingly, after about four blocks, I was. It was one of those. I I might as well keep going because I cannot get any more wet. Bad. Right. Uh, So, as I said to you in the email yesterday, I was so wet that not only were my and I was wearing a raincoat, like I was wearing a you know an official raincoat. This will keep out everything on a you know fucking mountain. Um, I was so wet that not only were my pants wet, but the pockets of my pants were wet, and I'll admit my underwear was pretty damp too. (laughs) I was that wet. I was really insanely wet so I had two things to do in this trip one go and buy eggs mm-hmm. two go and buy comics right. I decide I'm going to get the eggs first because I'm like if I go into the comic store and spend 20 minutes in the comic store I'll start to dry off and I won't want to do anything other than come home I'm going, to go, I'm going to go to the eggs first I go and they're like we sold out of eggs we sold out of eggs like a day ago and we're not going to really? have more we're not going to have more eggs until Friday it's it's a local supplier from a, from a farm oh okay 
I'm uh, like, is it National Egg Day up in Portland? What the? Every day in Portland. Baffling. National Egg Day. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, I'm like, okay, you don't have eggs. That's fine. I'm going to the comic store. You know, screw all this. And the first thing they say when we go in is like, we don't have any books this week. Uh, <laughs> even though we're supposed to have Wednesday delivery, Diamond have called and delayed it until Thursday. Wow. So, there's, there, I, I, at first, I think they're joking. And right. then I look, and sure enough, the new release rack is empty. Because they cleared it, expecting the books to be there, and then the books didn't arrive. I cannot believe how badly your uh, comic store gets treated. So yeah, it, it, it's, it's really, really amazingly gets shut upon. Um, so I, I was like, you know, that's fine, I'll pick up last week's books. Mm-hmm. And they've sold out of the one book I wanted to read, which is that my corporate Leviathan Strikes. <laughs> Seriously, I was like, I'll get these other books, but I can't believe I am, you know, I'm dripping. It, it just, just by existing, I'm soaking everything around me. I mean, she even says this, or she's like, you're dripping on my store. And I'm like, I, 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 I can't avoid this. I, I would drip wherever I go. Um, so, yeah, so that was it. I got really, 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 really surprisingly damp. Yes. Um, and I didn't get any comics for my troubles. That's not true. I got like Wonder Woman and a couple of other things that came out last week. Oh, good, good. Yeah, the way you put it in the email, which really should get tattooed on somebody somewhere, is there are few feelings in comicdom worse than wet pants and no Batman. I'm like, oh, yes. Who hasn't felt that at some point in their lives? Um, I mean, you know. That, no, no, that is describing Apart from normal people. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, interestingly enough, I did not get to the comic store this week. So all the stuff that I have to talk about are basically um, releases from the last two weeks that we weren't kind of able to talk about because we were busy hitting the high notes, as it were. So Go Team um, Comics. Although, before we go Team Comics on this, I have to ask you, Marvel, Sopa, what's your take on it? Oh, yeah. I You know, it's really interesting because I woke up and, you know, I don't know, I'd had some sort of leisurely morning type thing and went for a walk and came back and, like, checked out Twitter and saw you were, like, way in the middle of something. I'm like, what the hell? So, I didn't so, yeah, get in the middle of it. I just said something that I thought was common sense. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, Graham, that's usually how it starts for you, though. Uh, I, I You know, I, I kind of thought your take on it seemed... I don't know, eminently sensible, really, that it was a, um, you know, that it, it was the kind of thing that Disney probably, like, made them do. Uh, you know, I will say, though, what did you mean when you said that that uh, in your blog at Newsarama Post, kind of covering it, that Marvel had been, uh, in other cases, forward-thinking about... Oh, no, more process. more about how they use social media is what I was meaning, or in digital comics. Oh, like, they, they have been... For the, in that sense, they've been, they've used the internet really, really well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's it's not like, for example, I think you could make a, a stronger case for DC Comics being a, having an aversion to the internet. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, I think Marvel really embraced it uh, mm-hmm. early. I think they're really early adopters. I think that's a, that really played out. I think a lot of people still have really. I think part of the reason people are so surprised that Marvel is "quote unquote" supporting SOPA is because Marvel seemed to be the the big publisher who liked the internet and who understood it. Hmm. 
Really? Interesting. Interesting. You you disagree? Well, I I guess the thing is, is and it may well be splitting hairs, but it just seemed to me that... um, no, I take it back. I take it no, back. No, no, I, no, I, split hairs. I'm, I'm curious. Well, I, what I was going to say was that it really seemed to me is that Marvel was incredibly open-minded about how its uh, employees or writers or artists use the internet. You know, so like whether that's like Tom Brevoort being on Formspring or everyone you know in Marvel seemingly having an actual account. Um, you know, Twitter account or something. But then I sort of thought about it, and of course a classic example is Ryan Penagos at, you know, Agent M, who um, is employed by Marvel to do exactly that sort of social media stuff and is great at it, and they do, they have done like a tremendous amount of uh, podcasting, video podcasting and stuff like that. So yeah, at first I was like, eh, I don't really know if Marvel, because... You know, I was just kind of like, I suppose they were very free about letting their employees use it, but I, I, in fact, that's not true. Most of their employees. I mean, do these use it. these days, the Marvel website, I think, is is at its weakest than it has mm-hmm. been in a long time. But I remember, I mean, we've got to be talking at least five years ago now. Marvel had an amazing number of blogs and everything, giving behind the scenes info. Tom Brevoort had a spectacular blog for a long time, where he was very open about what was going on in the creation of right. books. Um, and these days, I think the only people who are really continuing doing any sort of blogs at Marvel are Ryan and the collections department. Right. But for a while, you, you had a lot. Like, you had the, the Spider-Man office was doing one, Tom Brevoort's office were doing one. Right. Yeah, and I was going to say, you did mention, you did uh, also link in, in Blog News Rama, uh, Tom Brevoort's pretty spectacular Art of Marvel Comics Tumblr, which if he keeps that going... Um, yeah, that's, I was kind of blown away really by good, that, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, it was kind of like I was like, "Wow, this is such a nice and sort of loving peek behind the scenes in a way that isn't Brevort's kind of like, oh yeah, come in here so I can slug you with a sock full of nickels,' you know, approach." Uh, I, I, I was like, I like it. So yeah, I guess, I guess you're right. I, it's funny, but. Again, that weirdo splitting hairs. I'm like, but none of those people are Marvel, Graham. And clearly they are. And even Casada, of course, was a regular, ongoing internet presence in his, like, you know, weekly columns and stuff. Yeah, I, I, I think Marvel focus. was really, really forward thinking about that. I, I, uh, for anyone who doesn't know what the, the Tumblr blog that we were just talking about was, it's the Marvel Age of Comics.tumblr.com. Uh, and it's Tom Brevoort basically posting original art from the origins of Marvel Comics. There's a lot of original Kirby art up there. A lot. Like, a distressing amount. At first I was kind of like, is this all stuff Marvel has now that he's just scanning in? And I was like, they can't, they sh- they're not supposed to have any of this shit. And then, yes, like, exactly. It's obviously not. It's just scans he's finding online. I hope so. Well, no, because there's, st- there's stuff that they definitely don't have. Like, right, he's right, putting up right. stuff of the the original Spider-Man story, and that's in the Smithsonian. Oh, good point. Good point. Um, yeah. But yeah, at first I was like, it's, "Oh, oh my God!" Is you know, is, is he basically admitting that Marvel <laughs> really has all this Kirby art? <laughs> Would that be amazing? <laughs> Just like an impressive like PR move gone wrong. Like, oh, oh, right. Where did? Yeah, I mean. 
we don't have this. Um, <laughs> it's like Kate's. You didn't see this. Yeah, exactly. This didn't actually... That's that is not a, a, a MacBook. What are you talking about? Um... <laughs> so yeah, so SOPA. I don't oh, know. You know, I, I, it, it's that thing of I, I don't know why anyone would be surprised when a big corporation supports well, that exa- kind of thing. Exactly. But also, I don't know. I just find it really weird that people were like, Marvel, you should be ashamed of yourself. And it's like, of all the things to say Marvel should be ashamed of itself, this thing right. was clearly dictated by the their, yeah, yeah, their yeah, ownership. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? For all the Disney companies that are there, the thing that's surprising to me is that Pixar isn't there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, isn't that fascinating? Because Pixar quite clearly like, no. No, no, no. Because right. ESPN's there. ABC's there. Hyperion's there. Mm-hmm. All these Disney Disney publishing is there. All these, although interestingly enough, Walt Disney Pictures isn't. Wow, which is kind of weird. Um, but all these Disney subsidiaries are there. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. So it, it, like, I'm really genuinely not surprised that Marvel's listed as supporting SOPA, and I also don't think that anyone at Disney or Marvel has even given any thought to what SOPA actually is. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? I think they're hearing it as protecting our IP online. That's great. We're in favor of that. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the kind of thing of like, why wouldn't they do, you know, this, the SOPA is being presented and to, to a certain extent is, you know, designed to protect, you know, big corporate intellectual property. So why wouldn't they, why wouldn't they be for it? You know, and I don't necessarily think that in big international corporations, care much about like <laughs> you know like free speech you know what I mean like, <laughs> no, no, but I it's, funny. I, it's funny it's like you could really make the case that Marvel does not care about free speech that no, that I, that does not require a lot of effort on anyone's part you just have to yeah, look at exactly. some of their lawsuits <laughs> well yeah right you know so I think that's um, you know that's not surprising I think it's I, I think I'm glad that it is getting attention um you know, I think that it would be great. I think it was great that, uh, for example, GoDaddy got shamed into backing down as a supporter from it. Although that was my the, understanding that was is the funniest, funniest thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think so, but I mean, maybe for different reasons. I think. Uh, if, put this way: if you saw, the, if you saw the press release announcing that they'd backed down, mm-hmm. you would find it as funny as I did. Oh, really? The press release is spectacular. The press release is great for two reasons. One, because short of actually saying, we have been shamed into this, it is saying, we have been shamed into this. <laughs> I mean, it does not, it does not hide it at all the fact that they had, you know, prior to the press release going out, 100% the opposite opinion. Um, but also, like, the shamelessness of, we've changed our minds, and we have also removed all the content on our websites that said that we ever held the other opinion. <laughs> well, and I think that is the, the this is the, uh, the, you know, when old hippies start jumping up and down about how much, you know, the internet resembles, you know, George Orwell's 1984 dystopian future, is that, you know, history is so malleable unless you have people who are actively vigilantly paying attention, which frankly, I guess is always supposed to be the case. It just gets exhausting. In fact, I hate to say it, I should have mentioned that in my year at, in our year-end roundup, but I'd have to say one of the big conclusions I took from 2011, democracy, exhausting, really tiring. You know what I mean? Like, 
it's unbelievable the amount of because I you know I have for one thing is I don't know if we'll get around to, to talking about this I I'm not sure how many dozens of people have signed that uh, Watchmen two petition at change.org but I, I was one of them and I've changed I've really? signed other yeah oh absolutely yeah yeah, yeah. why. Because I think that actually would be a pretty good thing that DC either didn't do it or renegotiated their terms. It's 116 people have signed it. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, I'm, I took the time to, I mean, I don't, on the one hand, part of me is like, I don't really quite care about this half as much as some of the other stuff that I've been, uh... Uh, what should I say? More ethically compromised on, you know. But I, I guess that's my—that's really my problem with the Watchman petition. It's like this is the thing that you're choosing to make a stand on. Like well, it's but this. I don't sometimes, know. Sometimes it's where people start, you know. I, I, I mean, guess I don't know. I just I find the idea of the petition to get DC to stop doing it uh, amusingly naive, shall we say. Yes. Um, I find the fact that it's on change.org almost offensive. <laughs> well, yeah, if you look at everything else that change.org is doing. Right. And then you get this guy being like, hey, so yeah, DC really shouldn't be treating Alan Moore like shit. It's kind mm. of like, sure, but holy shit. <laughs> well, I think that's fascinating, Graham, that you're like, sure, but on the other hand, it's really annoying that you people are taking the time to actually say it. I just feel no. It's not that you, you people are taking time to say it. It's that it is not on the same level as everything else on this website. But my understanding is, is with Change.org, people can start it about anything. And and I and I'm not saying that I I agree that there are better places to perhaps have started it. But the tools are there, and they don't say like. That's true. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's not. It doesn't have anything in the website being like, okay, only do it for important shit. You're 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 totally right. I don't know. Yeah, I just so, I just find it. I mean, I don't it know, really it, it is really a came, huge step down. It really came See, across so much as fanboy entitlement. When you go from like the front page and it's you know we have changed working conditions in you know Africa. <laughs> And then you see this guy being like, yeah, DC really shouldn't be doing Watchmen too." I mean, it's like, the dissonance kind of makes my brain vibrate. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I agree. I totally agree. But uh, let's see. what's And yet, and I agree, and yet I signed it. Because I think that I did, because I'm not, I doubt that it's really going to, it would be it's, great no, if it opened a conversation it's, about it, but it's not going to do not. anything. Yeah. Yeah, the, the, so, the funniest but... thing about all the Watchmen stuff, well, the two things that I found really amusing. One, I loved that DC did a cease and desist, and in the process, finally admitted it. I, yeah, I mean, I, I, I can't even imagine what led to them sending the cease and desist, or rather, or rather, if anyone actually realized that that would be them admitting it. The thing that I think is fascinating to me is just the fact that uh, I, I don't know how rich got a hold of that art but I'm really impressed I'm kind of I can't really imagine how it happened but it's I, I you know but it's pretty impressive you know because I would think that would be some serious like you know DC would go on a witch hunt about however that shit got well the, the cease and this letter was really clear about someone is in deep shit mm-hmm 
Mm-hmm. I mean, Sister, Sister Slater says something along the lines of, there is no way you could have gotten this unless someone has broken a confidentiality agreement. Right. So, yeah, someone is in deep shit at DC for this. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. And, I mean, I'm there's part of me that's like, I'm a little more worried about that in a way, yeah. you know? Because I'm like... But the, the other thing is, I love that the code name for the project is Panic Room. <laughs> I mean, you could not make that up. You could not make that up. <laughs> you know, you're right. I guess I just sort of glossed over that, and it never really sunk in that that's... Uh, there, there's something very deeply uh, hilarious about that. Um, yeah, I don't know. What the fuck? Code but, but what you've got to remember is, like, Rich has sources. He genuinely does have sources deep within DC and Marvel. Oh, there, there's always this, you know, especially Marvel are always like, he's getting it from some disgruntled fanboy. He's really not. Yeah. He has people who are giving him shit that you cannot get. So, yeah. Yeah, no, I'm re- I it's like I'm impressed about it. It's really fascinating to see it go on and um yeah, really but there's something kind of perverse about it. That being said, again, my big thing is is I I wanted to put my name on I think the other reason why I wanted to put my name on that change.org contract is it will give me additional pause so that when the project comes out, I'm not like, oh, well, what could it hurt to buy this? You know, like if nothing else, I'm going to be like, okay, if I buy this, I'm looking like an enormous hypocritical tool, much like I have for the previous 45 years of my life. So <laughs> am I okay with that? And, uh, and, you know, hopefully the reflection, we'll see, we'll see what happens there, you know, but, uh, okay, well, here's a question. Are you buying Marvel books? Seeing as I remember, you said you're going to go in your Marvel boycott. I talking talk about are, are you? Yes. Are you an enormous hypocritical tool? Thank you. Well, well that's <laughs> fucking awesome. Happy 2012, everybody. Here's the little dancing baby New Year. Um, well, I, as I think I told you, my boycott of Marvel was I would not buy any new ones. Books. Yes, yes, yes. And in that sense, I have been absolutely 100 percent faithful. Um, it's a little hard because I'm very um, I have to make a decision about a couple of books like Wolverine for example which is I don't know if it's officially announced but there's the rumor that Jeff Loeb and Simon Bianche are coming back yeah, to, it, like it has, has that not been confirmed? I don't. I don't know if it has been. I only. I'm sure it has. You know me in comic yeah, news. I, I only I, saw I'm that. Feeling it had been. I could be wrong. Okay. Uh, the only reason I wouldn't have known if I hadn't been reading Paul o, uh, O'Brien's like Marvel sales figures. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like I knew it was coming up to 300. Part of me suspected. Like I'm like, well, is Aaron going to stay with it or not? But I figured I would hold off on that. Yeah. Day. No. But, no. Aaron is officially off after his uh, final storyline, which starts yeah. 300. Which starts in 300. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's somewhat good to know. Uh, so I'm thinking, right, at that point, I pretty much have to drop Wolverine because I'm not going to give money to Jeff Loeb generally. Like, I, I suppose I could wait and see, like, oh, this is awesome. But if it's, I think if really it's, be did you read his first storyline? Was- yeah, oh, it was fucking yeah. awful. So really, that, I, was, I, that was like... I, unless yeah. something drastic has happened to Jeff Loeb, and yeah. for that matter, Simone, Simone Bianchi, um, yeah. I think you can pretty much decide that you're not going to be buying that book. 
Yeah, like they Jeff Loeb actually that that storyline it actually made me wonder if like maybe he'd been like you know you always hear about Ripley's believe it or not or not like those people who had like steel girders like driven through their forehead and somehow lived you know <laughs> it's like I really was like what so yeah there's no way so I'm probably going to drop that book which means do I then create the ethical loophole of myself of like well if I drop that book. I could buy another Marvel book and I'll still be carrying the same number of Marvel books or do I drop that book and then it eventually it slowly contracts me out of the marketplace because clearly it's not going to be like because Punisher Max is ending in another two issues and that's another book like I'm only buying I don't know six or seven maybe eight books tops so it's like with that gone it's kind of like the, the numbers are dwindling. Well, here's my I, question. I am sticking to it, yes. Because when you said you're dropping Wolverine when Aaron goes, I was going to ask if you are going to start picking up Wolverine and the X-Men by Aaron. See, and I could sort of pretend that it's like picking up the t- same title. It's the same amount of money. I'm not growing my interest in Marvel. But really, at this point, isn't it like the world's weirdest version of a quote-unquote boycott at that point? No, you know no, no, I mean? no, like, it really is. It's it's funny, though, because I was reading... Graham, you could fight me on this a little more, <laughs> don't you? Well, Jesus. I, I'm going to say something... You were really you, quick I'm there. To, I'm going to make you something, say something that's going to make it much worse for you, which Go is ahead. I was reading the third issue of Wolverine X-Men yesterday, Yes. And when I finished it, my first thought was, I wish Jason Aaron was doing Defenders relaunch instead of Fraction, because he wow. gets it. Mm. Really? Yeah. yeah. The, the third issue of Wolverine the X-Men, honestly, it just made me think, this is the guy that should be doing Defenders, because this is the closest Marvel has to a Defenders title. Wow. Holy crap. And it's such a... <sighs> such a like it's really hard to qualify but it's it's mm-hmm. seeing Quentin Quire a character who by the way I fucking hate mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, yeah become exactly. the figure of fun that no one in the school remembers and he gets really upset about and he's mm-hmm. ta- talking about how he was a trending topic on Twitter <laughs> like it's things like that where you're just like oh fuck that's really good and yeah. then and I'm going to I'm going to spoil the, the end of the first storyline for you, but it's it's one of those like it's an end, but it's not really an end thing. Right. Um, so the first storyline is Krakoa attacks the new school. Right. The third issue reveals it's not actually Krakoa. It's essentially like the son of Krakoa who's been genetically grown by the Hellfire Club kids. Mm-hmm. And Quentin Quire makes him realize that he's a mutant, and so he ends up becoming the new school grounds for the X Men. Oh. That's really fun it, and clever. It, yes, exactly. So between like Quentin Wire making jokes about how everyone should know him because he was a twi- trending topic on Twitter, mm-hmm. and then this really nice, kind, humanistic ending, I'm like, mm-hmm. th- this is this is th- this is as close as I'm getting to Steve Gerber right now. Th- right. This, this right. is what I wanted from a new Defenders comic. Oh. I know exactly, and I was like, oh crap! I, I honestly thought Jeff would love this, and he's not reading it. <laughs> Well, you know, maybe maybe that's uh, I don't, maybe I will. Maybe I'll winnow. What if I quit two Marvel books and then I only pick up one? You are quitting two Marvel books. You're quitting. Punisher. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like if I quit Punisher Max, and you know what I mean. Like it's an it's an exchange. I don't know. I <laughs> it's, it's, I really have it's a to shame like it. because Wolverine X Men has genuinely, I mean, really surprisingly, become my favorite Marvel title. Even I think right. more than Daredevil. Wow. 
Wow. And Daredevil, you know, fucking on fire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to say, well, see, so we're so into talking about the comics. So here we go. Did you want to talk about the latest issue of Daredevil? Sure. Or... It's pretty good. Isn't it? I... <laughs> it's really, really, really good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I agree. I love that cover. And then the rest of the story really worked for me in a way that, like, I don't know, maybe maybe it's just me, but did it told, did it remind you of, like, an Anne Nocenti Daredevil issue? Slightly. Uh, yeah, but it's, I feel more... I don't want to say more mainstream, because I feel it's kind of offensive to wait, but, but kind mm-hmm. of like a more mainstream Anne Nocenti. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I loved... I mean, it goes without saying that visually it was just stunning. And oh, every yeah. single time Rivera does the radar sense, mm-hmm. I... I it's just amazing and my favorite part of it is the radar sense shot of the assistant DA as he wakes up and it degrades there's a panel where it degrades and then it's yes. black it's just mm-hmm. a beautiful sequence yeah I, yeah, yeah, I yeah. love that um, but yeah it's, it Wade's dialogue actually was the star of the, this for me and and the, the, the way that he approached character mm-hmm. I, I love I love the way that Matt reacts to the to what's going on and I love the way the kids react when kids disappears because they're fighting even though they're in complete danger and they're terrified but they're still fighting and they're still being snarky and mm-hmm. you know they shut up until Matt makes the joke about one of the kids wanting a kiss for Christmas mm. there, there's I wasn't that- sure if he made that joke or someone else did I was rereading that and I it, I was like I don't know if Matt made that joke because uh, I sort I, of assume in the him. flow of it is it not? Let me see I'd, have, I mean, um, I'd have to go back to read it. But I, I genuinely thought it was him making jokes. No one was talking. Right. Uh, you know, it's one of those things where he's like, "Okay, yes, on Clay. Who else? Jaleel, Bryce, anybody?" And then it cuts to three separate panels of kids at the bottom, and then at the top of the page, it's like, "I know what Stuart wants for Hanukkah: eight kisses from Tanya." But it's a off-panel. Well, the kids are all lined up. I guess I could count the kids and see how many kids there actually are. So in that case, maybe he does. You know, I think you're right. I think he does say that. Like, I'm like, it's not clear. And I'm like, well, there's only... There's only eight kids. Four, six, eight. There's only eight kids. You only see two... You only see six of them in the panel, though. Two, four... Anyway... I want my no prize. Anyway, yeah, no, I, I I actually like the fact that the kids end up saving Matt rather than vice versa. That, that, that he sort of ends up losing his shit and panicking and they end up holding things together in a way. Yeah, uh, which you you don't watch Doctor Who, do you? I do not. One of the things I loved about this year's Christmas Doctor Who episode was mm-hmm. that it's not about the Doctor saving the world. Mm-hmm. It's about the the companion, the, the the mother, the 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 guest star of the story, saving the world, and just saving the world because she's kind. I I don't know why there's something about that, especially Christmas, that I really appreciate when the hero has to be saved by a regular person who is just being good. Right. I, well, I, yes. That mm-hmm. all works for me, and even works for me in the Invisibles with Audrey. Well, I was going to say it's one of those weird, like it seems very in the zeitgeisty because I feel like that's what Fraction was trying to do at the end of Fear itself, and I think blew it. You know, if but that's, if that's what was... trying to do, then he really blew it because they don't save the world by being kind. No, they 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 save the world by standing up and being Avengers. Yeah, you know? yeah. but but it's sort of I think it's a similar thing. The idea that the heroes saved by. 
by yeah by people was, and people yeah. also being people also being capable of being decent you know it seems yeah. you know sort of an inherently dramatic idea so the art's great you know the radar sense stuff now that i think about it isn't it really similar to the way that john romita jr used to draw the radar sense or no uh, it's been so long since I've read those. It could be. <laughs> I was just thinking, I, I, like those. I honestly don't remember. Strange little red lines. Yeah, I should go back and look at it. But because uh, I suddenly had that thing of like, oh wait, maybe that's why it's making me think. Anyway, really great episode, great issue. Um, yeah, it really is, and it, it's it's. I mean, you've got that, and you've got Wolverine, the X Men, two books which are really just some of the best books around. Oh yeah, no Marvel's kind of this is the thing is like between this and Uncanny X Force and for me Punisher Max, which is closing soon. There's some amazingly good books at Marvel and books that you know. Um, I'm glad I'm supporting now. Uh, and what you know, I'm just very frustrated. Like I wish there was a better, easier way to actually be able to support them and it because it is clear. You know, there's a lot of people. Um, who want to make good comics there and really good editors that are working hard to, to make that happen, you know? So, okay. Here, here's a random question. Mm-hmm. Are you reading Mark Wade's boom books? You know, I had started off, I think I read like the first 15 issues of irredeemable. Um, and then I, I kind of got a little, what's the word bored. I don't, I don't know. I suspected, um, I felt like there was a shell game going on there. And then I picked up Incorruptible, like in digital singles uh, at some sale or something, and they have been sort of sitting around unread since, which I've heard great things about. So, and then and then I read, I want to say The Unknown, um, you know, when it was released for free digitally. Um, and so, so kind of, I guess. I, I guess I'm asking because I was going towards a... Uh... Are you? Are these books good for you? Because of the creators, because of the characters, because of both, because of the teams that have been put together. Because, for example, I mean, I, I, I guess I was interested in Uncanny X Force more than actually just outright enjoying it. Right. But it seemed really different to me than Remender's creator-owned stuff. Mm-hmm. And Daredevil is. I mean, I can definitely see. I can definitely draw a line from Wade stuff to Daredevil, but there's something about the tone of the writing and the art. Yes, makes it very different. I mean, it's very different from like Redeemable. I would say it's closer to the unknown. Um, right. But again, it's not exactly the same thing. Mm-hmm. It's it, mm-hmm. it, because it's it's one of those things where you think, well, I don't want the company, but I do want to support the creator. They're doing the other creator own work in sport, but it's not the same thing. No, it really isn't. It really isn't. And, you know, I think that's not... Uh, in theory, when comics are working right, it it's supposed to be that way, you know? Because I do feel that Daredevil is this great nexus of Wade's approach to it syncing up perfectly with what his art team wants to do. Him having, I think, the confidence and the interest in letting them do it the way that they do it and having, you know, an editor that's sort of encouraging and putting all that forward and also sort of redeeming a character that we had become kind of blah about, you know? So there's kind of that nice, it's sort of that weird feeling when, like, the the 
baseball team that you used to follow suddenly is like hot again, you know, and had been in the dumps forever. And it's kind of this, there's like a weird complex, you know, set of feelings tied to nostalgia and stuff with that while being their own thing. But, you know, but Wade, by, you know, definition, was trying to create something very, very different with Irredeemable. And as much as I dug it, I actually also thought that... What did I think? I thought that he's trying to juggle a lot of things at one time. You know, he's trying to do a, hey, what if this was Superman and Superman turned evil? And I'm going to, like fill in sort of the whys and the what's and the things that you saw in the past and I'm building up the idea I'm throwing you into the media res of all these characters that are left that are surviving that are trying to fight against you know how do you fight against this super powerful enemy I mean it and it's so super ambitious and yet weirdly what happened for me as it went on in a way as it became more and more it's own thing as it was was bound to it became less and less kind of what I wanted from it you know which is um I felt like there just wasn't like the Superman analog stuff kind of got not a little bit thinner um but perhaps out of necessity as everyone became their own characters and the Plutonian had to develop his own psychology it became less um less of an entertaining, like, oh, you know, is Wade, you know, Wade moved from, like, speculating about, you know, either, you know, taking the dark side of Superman, like, flipping it on its side, because he's the world's biggest Superman fan, and seeing what he can say about the nature of, you know, whatever, whether that's celebrity, or, you know, constant scrutiny, or any of that other stuff, and it eventually became more and more and more a story, and I'm like, yeah, it's a good story, it's a good story, but it no longer became something that had a, um, you know, kind of a, a secret heart to it. Maybe, maybe it really does. But like, I picked up an issue recently where it's like, finally, the Plutonian's origin. And needless to say, the Plutonian's origin is very, very, very far away from Superman's, and which is smart because they've got all this other, all these other balls in the air. Um, but at the same time, I'm like, yeah, you know. So I think, I mean, in a way, if Daredevil was actually something that he was doing for, let's say, um, Dynamite Comics. Like, who's the Daredevil character there? Daredevil. You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm like, didn't they call him Red Devil? Or did they, 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 name they him? called him the Death-Defying Devil. Ah, there Devil we. with an apostrophe. Thank you. Yeah, so they did their way to get around it for trademark purposes. But, you know, I think if he'd taken a lot of his ideas and buried it into that character, which I'm, I'm sure is very, very different, you know, isn't a Daredevil analog... Um, but had decided to make him over that way in the way that Alan Moore turned Supreme into Superman, I'm not sure it would have quite the same feelings for it. Mm-hmm. You know? I, I would, so... I don't know. I, I feel like that was a long, rambly way of... Uh, my my resolution for 2012 was to actually let you talk more, so maybe I should no, say... No, 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 think, no. I, I am perfectly happy just listening to you. Um, I, 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 I had another question just based on how you ended that, which is... <laughs> How, how necessary is nostalgia to this? Because I think I think Daredevil is of high enough quality that mm-hmm. if I didn't have a past with the character, I would still love the comic. But you seem to be arguing the opposite. You seem to be arguing that 
the comic needs the nostalgia or at least the relationship you have with the character in order to make you fully appreciate the quality. Well, not not so much that you appreciate the quality, but I do think that it adds an extra texture to it. Like, don't get me wrong. I mean, Mark Wade is great, and the art is fantastic. And I think we've spent some time. Like, I'm definitely way more flexible. Like, there's a number of DC books that I am reading where I where I don't have those ties to the character. You know, and a, and a good example is a bunch of DC stuff where I started reading very late on, being a huge Marvel zombie, and at that point, it's like, yeah the stories drag you in because they're interesting I have no doubt that I would be reading this book and and liking it a ton but there's also a way in which part of what works for it is if nothing else just the idea of like here's Wade doing a Daredevil story that's different from what's been done before you know he's like how can I do a story about Matt Murdock being blind that isn't your traditional oh, hey, here's Matt Murdock being blind, you know, and not make it a story of bathos, make him be heroic and, and play off of the stuff of, like, everything that's great about about this this issue, well, not everything, but a lot of it is everything that makes Daredevil completely unlike every other superhero, you know what I mean? And one of the things that I think is that has an additional charge to it when you've been covering this character for such a long time and... You know, and you've locked spent... into one particular. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. There was one particular unique way to see this character, and before that, in some ways, he could have been just about anybody. You know, um, he was pretty goddamn generic before Frank Miller came in and, and made his moves, which is exactly part of what ends up, you know, throwing everyone down this one track. So there is a bit of additional sort of magic or sleight of hand to seeing someone take the character that you think that. You know that everyone just seems stuck in a rut and, and do something that seems very effortless of of changing it up. You know, so I, yep. I'm sorry. Yep. No, no, no. I, I was just going to say something to let you continue. I was going to offer you a bridge into <laughs> continuing, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> That's terrible. This is bad. I no, do not no, like no, this no. Trend. This, this is good. This, this is, <laughs> people listen, Jeff, because you are the heart and the head of this podcast. I'm I'm the snarky accent. That's it. <laughs> if Wade wants, s- Wade what is one organism? <laughs> it is so bad. It's like you're like it's like you made it sound like the world's smallest heist movie. You know what I mean? Where there's just two of us. It's the accent and the brain and the mouth and the nose because you can usually hear the nose at some point. And I yeah. Are I you saying I'm nasal? Are you, no, I'm you, saying I'm nasal because of the way you defined yourself. You are not nasal for the love Dude, there's of God. crazy. There's always one emphysematic moment of the podcast that I always have to try and edit out, and it never quite works. Where this fucking microphone, because of my gigantic head, this little headset always ends up tilting back until this fucking microphone is up my nose and it sounds like I have simultaneously run up a flight of stairs, whacked off, and smoked six cigarettes while listening to you talk and it's just disturbing. It's it's so disturbing, Graham. To everyone who ever complains about how much I swear in the podcast, I for some reason just feel that Jeff has surpassed me <laughs> in the use of the word fuck this episode. <laughs> so, ladies and gentlemen, 2012, the year that Jeff Lester is the sweary one. Is the swear one? Hey, that's great. This is we got to figure out a way to you know keep this stuff fresh. So yeah, like, what I've also decided we've, we've got to have a new theme song this year. 
Oh, really? You know, I have to say, okay, but only if you compose it. Oh, man! Because, you know... With, with all my incredible skills and ability yeah. to play a musical instrument. Well, you know, like, just, just you know, pay and get GarageBand or some shit, you know? Don't tell that, for the don't, for the don't, iPad, don't it's like six bucks. You just mix it. It's got all those little auto instruments. That's you what just I'm come saying. Up with don't something. tell me. Don't tell me. I'm, I'm tempting you because I'm like stuff. you. Totally like I can understand that you. I, it's funny. I was. This is how sad I am. I was driving home today, thinking about the theme music. Going, I bet people. Everyone really wants me to change that. You know, because I'm I'm weirdly defensive about the theme music. The fact Why? That it's like the same music because whenever I listen to other people's podcasts it's always like and it's like somebody's like well chosen you know kind of artfully obscure it's like some sort of three minute I love how you're like somewhat artfully obscure because so many people recognize our theme music well if nothing else they know it every time you know what I mean but I kind of have in other words they do this thing where I don't necessarily feel like it or maybe it is maybe they put it on there every time but I sort of feel like there's a a way and I feel like I'm going to get in you know uh, if Chad Nevitt wasn't a sweetheart I can see him writing in and giving me crap for this but but you know (laughs) the idea that you you put in a new piece of music is like to me it's like it either relates to what you're talking about or just if nothing way. else, the Splash Page podcast has taught me that you always play Gord Downey at the start. Oh, really? That, that, they always play the same song. Do they? I thought yeah, I heard it be Splash different. Always play the, oh, that's not true. Maybe a oh, couple yeah. of times they played different music, but it was mostly Gord Downey. Um, oh, okay. Okay, so you, let's, I'm just going to pick something. Uh, Here Comes the Girls by Ernie Doe. That's what, you, that's what should be the theme music for the next episode. Okay, first off, what... Second off, is that is is what? Does that? I, 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 How do you not know that song? It's a spectacular I, song. Uh, here comes the girls. Here come the girls. It's plural, Jeff. Come on. You are the biggest <laughs> cock that ever lived. Here come the girls by who? Robert Downey. <laughs> yes, Robert Downey Jr. Um, Ernie Doe, I believe. Yes, Ernie K. Doe. There you go. Doe is D O E. Thanks. All right. Here come the girls by Ernie K. Doe. Is it? Does it have like a like Creative Commons license so that I can play it at the beginning? <laughs> oh, no, without... not slightest. I was totally just thinking of something off the top of my head. Come on. <laughs> oh, God damn it. <laughs> All right. Well, at least I know what's going to be. We should have this part and then put in the cold put in the cold open and have it go to that because that would make a certain amount of sense. Uh. No. Okay. We'll no. We'll have the same music. I was just saying because we're saying we should shake things up. No, I agree. I think we should. I kind of have that thing. Okay, but here's my thing: is is that again? I that's why I was like, if we compose theme music, it would be great because then we could even compose different theme music, and I wouldn't have to worry about Creative Commons bullshit. You know what I mean? Because I don't necessarily want to use people's stuff without permission and or be able to. You know, as it is, I feel really uncomfortable with um, not distributing it. But like, if we were to try and you know sell a disc or something of our podcasts or something like that I'd be like would I have to change the music would I have to get permission like I know that in theory like really nobody would care but there's there's a way in which I sort of do care about it you know no no I totally know what you mean although now I'm like wait we're selling discs of our podcast that's awesome Well, I can dream. I don't know. I'm sort of like, I, I go through these periods where it's like, well, you know, people like us, sure. Maybe people would really like to have a disc of it. Maybe there, not. There's one, there's one problem. It's all available for free. 
yeah, it is currently all available for free. But, um, you know, but at some point, like, it's my storage is going to top out, and I can't imagine that we'll be able to continue to store, you know, over 100-plus installments of, of the same podcast. Maybe we will. I don't know. I mean, these things are not small, you know. That's true, and at this point, we must have passed, like, the first three episodes can't be available in iTunes anymore. This is the thing. You know, when I went to look at Tom versus The Flash, for example... The, the only ones that aren't available are the ones that I voluntarily pulled off. And if you go look at, say, Tom versus the Flash listings in uh, iTunes, he's got something like 200 installments available there, I think. Really? Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think that... I don't, I'm not sure iTunes actually tops out. I, I, I really thought it did. Yeah, because they just... They just... They don't store anything. You know, they just facilitate... For some reason, I was convinced it topped out at at 100 episodes. Yeah, and you told me, and I'm like, okay, I'm pulling pulling stuff. But like I said, when I saw Tom... I'm going to to see what's happening with us. Well, yeah, definitely do that and go to... It says total total 99 episodes right now. Right. But you'll notice I pulled the chunk. There's if you go to to the very beginning, you'll see we go from like episode one to episode five. That's true. Yeah, I pulled those myself. Were they just shitty episodes? No, I think they were all great. I was just you go from you go from episode one to episode eleven. Well, okay. What's yeah? What's worth remembering, Graham, is is that when it when something goes wrong with our podcast and it's not accessible in iTunes, I freak the fuck out because <laughs> I, I don't. I have to fix it and I don't know what's going on. And so there was some other time. Not this most recent cursed podcast, but maybe a month or two back, where everyone was, it wasn't loading. It wasn't, iTunes wasn't loading it. I was like, shit, maybe I crossed the 100 episode thing. So I pulled a bunch of things out of the iTunes list. And I keep saying that I'm going to go at, look at it. But if you look at, look at Tom versus The Flash in iTunes, um, you will see that he has. 290, 297 episodes listed in iTunes. Wow. Yeah. That's just wrong. <laughs> <laughs> that's a and lot of episodes. Tom that's a lot of episodes. I, I have to say, I love Tom vs. the Flash. Well, I know. That's why I was like, you're sort of the benchmark. And of course, it turns into Tom 297. Yeah, wow. Um, before it was Tom vs. the Flash, it was Tom vs. Justice League. Oh, interesting. Interesting. I, Wait, I wonder. If, I wonder if they're still there because Tom versus Justice League was awesome, especially the time he got to the Detroit League. <laughs> oh my God! See, now you too want to listen to Tom versus. I do. I actually that one of my little things is like it would be great if I like listen to more podcasts. I think you know, I, I sort of because after listening to that word balloon one, I was like, oh uh, yeah, it would be. Oh, they're going backwards in time, of course. So they start off with. Uh, no, it's Tom versus the Flash back in like 2009, and then moves through because there was a bunch of Tom versus the Aquaman versus the Aquaman, like around <laughs> number 100 or so. Now you sound Dude, like you're that, talking to Jeff Jones, the Aquaman, <laughs> the Aquaman, the Aquamans. So, uh, what else do you want to talk about? Do, should we talk about Batman Leviathan Strikes? Should we oh, hold we off sh- on that? Until God, later? but I've not read it. So you stop. Oh, I thought you, you had read it. All, no, you can talk oh. about it all you want, but I've not read it. I Don't spoil it for me. That. Okay, that, thanks for putting these restrictions on me. Talk about it all you want. Don't spoil it. It's like, okay, <laughs> be great. Batman's in it. Let's see what else can I come up with. 
if you just made up like a completely fake spoiler and then Leviathan turns out to be Alfred's I have to say, if there's one thing that I did feel from Batman Incorporated Leviathan Strikes, it does feel like reading one giant, enormous fake spoiler. Um, so, uh, Why okay. a fake spoiler? Well, or can I explain without actually spoiling? Yeah, I'm not sure that I can actually explain. I, I, I think, I, you know, I have very mixed feelings for this book. I really do. Um, as always, there's part of me that's like, I, you know, sadly, I'm like, I bet I'll love this when I read David Uzumeri's annotations, you know? But there is also just a variety of weird, like, like, part of it is there, it's two very dissimilar issues jammed together, is the other thing, you know? The first part of it is Grant Morrison with Cameron Stewart art. It's lovely to look at. Um, I'm not sure if it has, um, because of all the time that's passed, and you know, it had a sort of lead-in hint that this was coming up. It it that that is gone. It it feels strangely. It feels it feels it feel, it just feels like a weird episode, uh, weird uh, issue. Gorgeous, but but I had this weird kind of moment of like. You can't. You just can't assume that Grant Morrison is any subtext you find in there is accidental. You know what I mean? It just mm-hmm. it wouldn't quite make sense. So I spent a lot of time trying to figure out what is going on in that storyline where Stephanie Brown goes to infiltrate this private girls' school in I think England to um, discover some secrets of Leviathan, like it's one of Leviathan's training centers, right? So it's very much a um, girls' school adventure type thing, mm-hmm. uh, but there's the subtext to it is really weird, re- like very odd, um, and I th- I sort of feel like Morrison. Uh, well, okay, so this does get a little more spoilery, only in the m- most mild ways. Like three of the teachers. And the headmistress of the school, our Lady um, Gaga Rihanna, right? Yeah, um, Madonna's the headmaster, uh, and God, I can't remember who the other pop star is. It's Katy Perry, isn't it? I think it is. Who just sort of pops up in the like? I, I don't know. Maybe no one really liked Katy Perry because she sort of pops up in passing and doesn't. You know, it's really more Rihanna Gaga and Madonna. And there's kind of this weird subtext of, okay, so since they're the headmistresses at this evil school, and they're all evil, and they all seem to get, you know, have to get kicked in the face, and in fact, the last page is some sort of weird, like, it's a butt joke. Like, it really, honestly, the, the ending page of the comic, I won't give it away, is a very weird butt joke. And it's almost like... It's this weird, like, as Grant Morrison sometimes does, this weird trying to have his cake and critique it, too, of, like, oh, yeah, this whole thing that we're doing about turning women into highly sexualized pop stars, and it's wrong, because this is the evil school. But at the same time, we're also super fetishizing it, you know? Like, there's this weird push-me-pull-you in terms of, like you know, oh, yeah, no, this thing of teaching women to objectify themselves to succeed is bad. It's like turning them into members of an evil, you know, secret society. And then the flip side of it is, like, A, this is Grant Morrison, who pretty much 
I'm half still half convinced is Lady Gaga, you know, and you know, it's just odd. It just left a really weird taste in my mouth. And then when you follow that up with the next issue, which is Grant Morrison at his most deconstructed, like, hey, do you like the fact that page three is really where someone else would be at page 17 of their comic? Isn't that awesome? Like, I'm just, I'm so throwing you into the middle of it that you're absolutely dazed and confused. Aren't aren't I blowing your mind? Let me give you a back rub kind of thing that Morrison does. And it just, um, it left me with, it left me with strange feelings. I'm really, really curious to read it because... (laughs) <laughs> Me too, Graham. I've been begging for two weeks. <laughs> no, I'm really curious to read it because everything I've heard about it mm-hmm. has been very close to what you're saying, mm-hmm. but also sort of feeds into my theory of, like, Leviathan is going to be, the, the follow-up series is going to be the weirdest comic ever because it's already obsolete. Like, it's it's obsolete before it's even created, and you get I, I just have a feeling that it's going to be Graham Morrison simultaneously going for broke, and right. not really caring. Yeah, I... Do you know what I mean? Like, I, yeah. I honestly... I, there's something about it. I just feel that he is so into the idea of continuity mm-hmm. that his story being out of continuity means he's not really going to care. Well, my hope is is that because he has a delay, he will wrap up this war, and he'll even have people say, like, you know, it's the war that spanned two realities, you know, where someone's making coded references to the idea of, like, you know, in other words, that he will figure out a way to set it in New 52 continuity for his closing sequence, Mm-hmm. And so he can riff off of things or how things are different or not. I was really surprised because I do know that it says that it's not new fifty new uh, new fifty two continuity. I was really surprised by that. Yeah, yeah, I was really intrigued. Well, they I guess they have to because again, what are they going to do? Throw out twenty pages of Stephanie Brown as Batgirl? Yeah, but I don't know if you saw online uh, that decision was made before Cameron Stewart drew it. Mm-hmm. He thumbnailed it as. Spoiler. He thumbnailed her as spoiler after the script was reworked because she wasn't Batgirl. And then they decided to change it back. Yeah. Yeah. Which I would be curious as to why. I didn't know that, but I'd be I'd be curious to know what the fuck is going on there. I mean that's all very odd. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's just all kinds of it's a weird issue, it's a bunch of weird decisions and you know, the best thing you've got going, I mean, again, there's some great, also there's another, they basically spend two, at the end of the book, four, six, eight, eight pages recapping the entire Batman Incorporated storyline, but at the end of the book, you know, which just seems weird and stupid, and then they flesh it out with with like a collection of variant covers, so but that's that, the other that's thing. Some that, sort of like weird filler to make it, yeah. However much it was, what was it? Four dollars, five dollars? Uh, dude, it's six ninety nine. It's seven dollars. Wow. It's a it's a seven dollar book, and I don't know how long it is. I'm ninety six pages or something like that. Yeah. So, but there's not actually ninety six pages of content. Uh, there's not 96 pages of comics, comics which I think is a big do. Yeah, exactly. I, and I think that's a huge difference. And and again, it's a little bit of the cheat that they've done on um, 
they did with action comics, and I think it's the sort of thing that which uh, which really left a, a bad taste in my mouth. I, I yeah, really wish you exactly, I, and they're doing yeah, yeah, Justice yeah. League as well. I mean, I don't know if you're are you still buying Justice League? No, I haven't read the last two issues, so um, I don't know why. So really. a, a, issue three, I was like, it's much better. It's the best issue yet. Issue four, no. <laughs> <laughs> issue issue four made me feel like an idiot for saying issue three was the best issue yet. Um, uh, and but, not in that but, because issue four is awesome way, huh? No, no, no. In the wow, this is terrible way. Oof. Um, yeah, if you've ever wanted to be underwhelmed by Darkseid, check out his first appearance in the New Fifty Two. Ooh, is he is he sipping tea? Is he is no, he no, playing no. video he, games? He is, is, is he spectacularly not? It's somehow less impressive and less dynamic <laughs> than him sitting on Mary Marvel's couch. <laughs> <laughs> And it, like it, it shouldn't be. It's actually right. he gets two double page spreads and then a splash that are his wow. appearance, and it is all so stunningly undynamic. Um, he gets two double page spreads and, there, and a there, splash. There is, there is a double page spread on its side, the way it used to do uh-huh. in '90s Marvel. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then there's like a double page spread of him, sort of. I think he's. I, I don't have the comic in front of me, but I want to say he's like hitting someone or flying something uh, and then there's a close up of his face and he says I am dark side and it's like next issue shit I <laughs> doesn't say next issue shit but it really is. wouldn't that be great next that issue. would be oh, so awesome <laughs> <laughs> dark side oh no we're in trouble now <laughs> Yeah, no, I I don't know. You know, it's it's really weird. I had I read issue two. I think I maybe even did I buy issue two. I don't know how it happened, but I I read issue two and it was so much better than issue one. I was like, this is good. I'm going to keep reading this. And then I don't know. I just had a weird zone where like the new fifty two. Like I kind of I felt like I was waking up from a spell. You know, I was like, huh, huh? <laughs> you know, there's unless Wait, I, I explicitly care about all of this. <laughs> Yeah, I'm like, what am I doing? I'm, who cares? You know, and I mean, that's not entirely... Weirdly enough, the choices that I made to stick with, I think were not especially good ones. Like, I got to that fourth issue of Frankenstein, Agent of Shade, which I think came out last week or maybe two weeks ago, and I was like, eh, I gotta dump, I gotta drop this book. What a fucking shame. But it's crossing over with all oh, oh magnets issue. Come on, one more issue. I know, I'd stick around for one more issue, I'm sure. But but I really had that moment of like, hmm, yeah, they, ugh. You know, it, it's really interesting because I, I suspect that, you know, there's a lot of people who seem to be digging it and there's bits and pieces of it that I would love and then, like, two pages later, there'd be, like, just an enormous, like, I'm like, really? Like, really? Like, Oh, I, I dropped off Frankenstein after a shoot. One, possibly. <sighs> See, and I kept going with it. Because I was like, well, give me time. It's going to grow on the, the art and I... You know, and yeah, it's clearly it's not working for me. Interestingly enough, I picked up Demon Knights issue three and four because I'd stopped buying it after two for whatever reason. I'm like, you know, kind of like we were talking about. I'm like, wait, but I I like this. I should pick this up. And I don't, man, I don't know about that one either. If it wasn't for the fact that in issue four, um, you know, one Merlin pops up and it's very, it could not be more explicitly Nicole Williamson's Merlin from Excalibur, you know, mm. looks like him and, and Cornell does an, a 
perfect job of writing it in that voice, I think. Maybe John K. UK will write in and disagree. I was like, well, that's great, but that's a really flimsy thing for me to hang on to, you know? And again, it's one of those deals where it's like, there's parts of the art that are nice, but there's just, there's some, the story, there's enough bad storytelling in it that it, it just doesn't, it doesn't have enough momentum on its own. And it's clearly designed to be kind of a momentum tastic book where you're like, wow, I'm reading this like, you know, crazy book of crazy ideas and crazy characters. And it's coming at you from, you know, four or five very different, clever directions, but it's all about the velocity. And I think sometimes if you, if you just, fuck the storytelling on that just a little bit at least for me I'm like I have no I have less than no emotional connection with any of this you know it's kind of it's one of those weird things about um crazy idea you know big I crazy big idea comics is I I feel like those are enjoyable to read but if there's not some weird connection for me at some level I can't you know, like either this the art's really superlative or it's super, super, super crazy. Um, you know, so, but, so the, the connection isn't an emotional connection for me. I, or let's put it this way, or I care about the characters. Like, it seems to me like big, crazy character, like big ideas comics tend to be like a little minimal on the characterization anyway, if you know mm-hmm. what I mean. No, Maybe no, I don't do know what you mean. And so. Without the character hook for me, you you kind of have to work double time to either keep your story clear or to really go to some some batshit places for me to stay interested. Otherwise, it's amazing, I guess, not that amazing considering I'm a regular superhero comic book reader. You can feed me remarkably generic material if I care, if I'm care and I'm invested about the characters, you know. So I kind of feel like four issues into Demon Knights, I don't really have a character that I'm rooting for. I'm still sort of like, okay, I think this. I remember what this guy's deal is and that guy's deal is. And the big crazy ideas generally feel kind of not necessarily that big and crazy, a lot like Frankenstein to me. And, and then the art is like as soon as it does like a bad... Like, they screw up the panel reversal so that I'm looking at it going, wait, where was this person standing when this happened? That I'm just like, okay, I'm, I'm out of it. Okay, here, here's a question. Are, have you read any of these as a bunch? Uh, well, no. I don't think any more than the closest I came was reading two issues of Demon Knights at a row. You know? The reason I ask is I, I had a really similar experience to you about Demon Knights until I read them as a bunch and I ended up mm. having a much clearer picture about what was going on and enjoying it much more interesting, uh, interesting. And, and it's I, I then was like maybe this is also true about Stormwatch which I'd found similarly you know what's the opposite mm-hmm. uncompelling can I say it's, it's a great <laughs> yes. word um, and it's not like Stormwatch just fails if you read them in singles or you read them as a group either way they just they're just wretched yeah they just do, they just do not work um, mm. but Demonize does Demonize actually really works as a as a future collection I guess yeah I think there was a moment again I think with that fourth issue where all this stuff is being set up with the shiny knight and with Merlin's appearance where I was like I bet if I was reading this in a trade it would work better for me because I had that sense of like because for me I'm like well this is all well and good uh, as it is but it 
you know, it really does drop the story dead, especially a story that I'm like four months into and not sure that I'm especially compelled by. But, you know, but if it's like page 80 out of 140 or something like that, my math is completely wrong, page 60 out of, you know, 96, it probably would be okay, you know? Yeah. No, it's really strange. You have read Dungeons & Dragons Manor, right? I have not. In fact, I I picked up issues on the holiday sale and have yet to read them. Because, again, it still reminds me of... Dungeons and Dragons, but not as good. Oh, interesting, interesting. Right, I think you said that at the first issue or something. And uh, yeah, I would. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to that Dungeons and Dragons book. I need to sit down. It really seems like they. <laughs> it's really hard for a jerk like me to get get my hands on the trades of that. In fact, every time I see a trade, I'm like, oh boy, it's always like some new collection of older material that they're putting out. And I'm like, fucking, is this just hardcovers? So. Fortunately, I have my friends, the the digitally, um, thanks to my inability to to understand how digital sales work, I ended up buying the first five issues, so I should should see that. (laughs) There you go. See, your your own misfortune is your value or something. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not sure if that's technically what I'm trying to say, but it is my tombstone uh, epitaph, certainly. I I, I like it. I I wanted to give, Jeff. I I thought... (laughs) So I want to pass it on to you. Uh, what else have you read? Uh, let's see. I read Just League 4, like I told you, which was not good. Um, Wonder Woman. Are you still reading Wonder Woman? Yeah, you know, I was going to ask you about that fourth issue of Wonder Woman. Um, and I, 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 yes. I, I was going to say, I think I liked it more than I expected. It's, But I don't think I realized that while I was reading it. If that makes sense. Interesting. Interesting. I think when I was reading it, I was feeling very underwhelmed. And it was only afterwards when I was thinking about it, I was like, huh, that really zigs where I thought it was going to zag. I have a lot of problems with writing out Wonder Woman's mother again, which seems to be the one plot that they have with Wonder Woman's mother. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, she never uh, appears these days to at some, mm-hmm. like die or be turned stone or something. So Wonder Woman being like, oh, mother! I had fallen out with you, and then something terrible happens. What are the odds? Uh, uh. <laughs> At this point, according to the bookies, four to one or <laughs> one to four or something. I should know. have known, but we fought about cookies. Then it, I <laughs> to buy some more cookies, and I came back. You'd be dead. <laughs> and I had damp underpants and no Batman. They uh, cookies. <laughs> I thought the art was great. I thought this issue was... I, I mean, the art was just gorgeous, especially when Hera shows up wearing that peacock feather thing and is just creepy as hell. And is nude. Nude and wearing the peacock cloak. But the rest of it struck me as more Azarello-ish than the first three issues had been, and I find I found that a little detrimental. You but, know? But Azarello-ish. You know, like the wordplay. Like, I wouldn't scrap with you. Scrapple? No, apple. Here's the apple of my eye. I? You know, that kind of... I don't know. I That's do love like the that worst it, imitation it, of Ezra. No, I, I kind of love that because it did sound like you're turning it into Shakespeare. <laughs> Seriously. It sounded like you're like, that's what I did my first Shakespeare summer in Ashland. <laughs> With a hey nonny nonny, exactly. yeah. Uh-huh. I don't know. Anyways, it. it, it uh, I I 
wasn't really aware of that, to be perfectly honest with you. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, like I said, I felt weirdly underwhelmed when I was reading it, and then afterwards I was like, oh yeah, I liked it after all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I guess I, I, I'm, I'm very torn. I'm very torn, you know? Um, I don't know. I, 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 And yet there were things that I liked about it. I just sort of... I think I think I could have really loved this issue, and yet there were a number of things that that, that kept me from it. And like you said, I, I think if I had followed Wonder Woman enough to know that, yeah, every time her mom comes back, like you can just count the times until she's turned to stone or rested away from her or something. I mean, it kind of is that thing. Didn't Greg Rucka have? Didn't like Wonder Woman like go down to like? After somebody, the Medusa turned a bunch of people to stone, didn't she, like, do some big mythical labor to, like, yeah, rem- turn them? Yeah, remember, she um, she was blinded for a while. Oh, right, the blind thing. Right, right. You know, sounds so good on paper. I And I know a lot of people loved it. I just... I, I, I am one of those people who th- thought that Ruckus uh, Wonder Woman was the best Wonder Woman has been in the longest time. Right, right. It, um, I, I really thought it was spectacular, and, and I would love to see. I'd love to see him back in the character, but I'd, I'd love to see. I'd love to see someone have that much respect for the character again. I guess. Well, see, what's your definition of respect? I get the sense that Azarello feels like he's respecting the character. I think my problem is, is I don't feel like my problem is, is that everyone talks about respecting the character. Rucka seemed like one of the few, and I guess to an extent Simone, who respected the character enough to read what other people had done with the character. That's kind of what I mean. Mm-hmm. It's respect for the character's history, respect for the character's previous appearances. Yeah, yeah. So, I, and I think That's, that well, cause, is because really one fair. of the problems that a lot of people have had with Wonder Woman is their first mm-hmm. issue is like it all changes. Right. You know, everything you know is wrong again, which. <laughs> You know, when you're going through a creative turnover of like a new writer every two years, it's just mm-hmm. crazy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And it is one of those things where you feel like, shouldn't you at least read the previous work? Yeah. On Should, shouldn't yes. you know why everything mm-hmm. we know was wrong was, was wrong before? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, I have to say, and this is this is a weird thing. Maybe this was, and by this I mean last week was not necessarily my week for appreciating DC Comics because I picked up Batman issue number four, and sweet Jesus, I love the art. But I'm, I think, I, I kind of think I'm really bored of Scott Snyder's work on it already. Like um, one of the great things about all these, you know, end of year digital sales is I picked up, I want to say his entire Detective Comics run. Um, at 99 cents a pop um, because I hadn't read any of it and I'd heard so many good things. I'm kind of looking forward to reading it in part to see, like, who knows, maybe if that stuff doesn't wow me, I'll realize I just don't like his take on it, you know? I know a lot of people are like, I really like the Dick Grayson Batman and his Bruce Wayne Batman is different, but Mm -hmm. I just find his, again, he's another guy where I'm like, I'm finding the plotting really sluggish, you know? And it's it's what's making up for it is the crazy ass to me crazy ass lovely art where it's just God Capullo stuff is so good to me 
I, I, I again feel like I should revisit it because I didn't have a, I didn't have anywhere near the warm feelings of the early of the first two issues I think I read as you did mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and so I've, I've totally missed all of this stuff I, I've not been paying attention to it I don't think so. I think you'll actually read it more. Actually, it would be interesting, because I feel like if you read issues three and four, I think you would might be more like, yeah, okay, I see what you dig about Capullo is maybe not my taste, but I like it, but but yeah, this story isn't working for me. On the other hand, it's one of those deals where I don't think... How can I put this in the best way? Just put it in a terrible way. Well, okay, you're a bastard. Uh, but stepping it up a <laughs> that, little bit... That's fair. <laughs> Grant McMillan is the diplomat. Uh, I is that I feel like um, I just I, I I don't think of you as a Batman fan. You know what I mean? Or rather, the uh, fan I'm, I'm of really Batman. Curious. Why not? You, uh, okay, because and I'm not saying that in the sense of I will fight you. I'm totally a Batman no, fan. No, no, I I, no, I, no. Exactly. I genuinely mean why not? It's a, you know what it is? It's a weird knee-jerky reaction. Because I think you are a big Batman fan. I just don't think that you're a Batman fan of, say, this era, really, I guess. And so you tend to like Batman the most, it seems to me, when it is more like previous era Batman stuff. So, like, for example... I think of you as a Batman fan in that you're a fan of, say, the 70s Batman stuff, or... I don't know. I'm trying to think. Like, It just strikes me like you would not be reading Batman unless there was a, somebody working on the book that you necessar- uh, you really liked, and even then you might not be reading Batman. You know, whereas I feel like I'm somebody who, more often than not, I'm looking at a Batman title... I'm not necessarily buying it, and I've gone through huge swaths of ignoring it, um, but more often than not, it's something that I at least keep my eye on some Batman title or another. Like, if I hear that there is a Batman run that's being acclaimed, I will check it out. Weirdly enough, I didn't do that with Detective Comics, I think, because I was going to just decide to wait for the trade. But, um, But I don't feel like you're that kind of fan of Batman, you know? Interesting. And I mean, yeah, 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 yeah. And I mean, I, I, it's, I'm saying interesting in the sense of you're actually completely wrong. But I, <laughs> I, I've pretty much been reading Batman. Ah, uh, con- I've probably been reading a Batman book continuously since Greg Rocker took over Detective. Oh, okay. All right. See, so that's yeah, that's like I mean, well that's over 100 true. plus issues. They, there's probably a period where that's not true. Uh, back when, like, the Hush stuff was happening? Right. Hush stuff and probably the post-Hush Judd Winnick stuff was yeah, happening. Yeah. Trying I, to think I, what was I, going I, on in Detective at that point. Yeah, but yeah. at the same time, you've got to bear in mind that for at least half of that time, Morrison mm-hmm. on Batman. Right. Like, for, right. for well, at, least, right. at least, I mean, what, six years now Morrison's been on Batman. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if I'm like, I've been reading Batman continuously for 10 years, apart from like that three-year period. Four right, ago. where Grant Morrison wasn't <laughs> writing it. And I'm very close to that. That's why I was like, I was like, but is this true of me? Because when I said something like, when they had the Batman, the last hundred issues of Batman on sale, I'm like, I've got a shocking number of these. And I'm like, oh, because I've got Grant Morrison, and then I was following Brubaker, and then I followed Hush, 
and then I did the the did majority of the Judd Hush? Winnick issues. Oh, I did. I bought every issue of Hush. Why? In the singles. I, 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 Batman I, I, fan, you bastard. <laughs> really? Is that, is that why? Because I, no, no. I know you don't like Loeb, and I know you're not a big fan of Jim Lee. Cause, cause Weirdly this, enough. This is yeah. what I was thinking. When you were talking about the way you think I like Batman, it's mm-hmm. not so much a time period. It's a, am I interested in the creators? Mm, okay. Right. So, for example, Rucka, yes. Brubaker, yes. But when it was right. like Anderson Guybrick, no. Yeah, right. Exactly. Uh, no offense to Anderson Guybrick. But, yeah, um... I was buying. I was buying Hush, and for precisely that weird reason of, I don't think that I necessarily love Jim Lee's art, but there's some types of Jim Lee art that I really like. I really like how the guy draws Batman. I really like how the guy draws the Rogues Gallery. Um, at the time, it was I don't know how. Again, it was. I, I was basically, it was like, I'm buying this because it's lovely art and it's got a little bit of, um, I don't even want to say Batman's greatest hits, but it's kind of... Oh, it's it's totally Batman's greatest hits. Well, except there's not really much hits there. You know what I mean? Like, he runs around and he does things. It's more like it's more like a Happy Days reunion special starring okay, Batman. Okay, yeah, yeah it's, it's Batman fan service. Exactly. It's Batman fan service. I would... I would there weren't very many parts of it, you know, where I was like, wow, that is a really cool Batman moment, you know, which I think of as, quote-unquote, the greatest hit. But in terms of, like, you know, here's a double-page spread, and here's Zeppelin's in the sky, and there's Batman, and there's the entire rogues gallery standing in front of him. Like, yeah, I I did. I bought that, you know. Um, I, and by bought, I really do mean purchased. And, yeah, it was... You know, enjoyable in its very inexpensive way. Um, but it was also it was very cheap in many senses of the term. Um, <laughs> so, and that's the thing. I'm like, I bet Graham didn't buy Hush, and I was like, I bet he wasn't buying Batman when it wasn't Grant Morrison. No, but here's know. the thing: I probably would have been buying Hush had I had more money back then. Because mm-hmm. Hush and what happened just after Hush was at the point where I just didn't have that much money and I was right. stupidly selective about what comics I could buy and what comics I couldn't right right well which makes sense but here's the thing even if you weren't it seems really stupid I realized I was tarring you with that weird like oh you don't really like Batman you like you're, you're, Batman when he's dancing the Batuzzi you like Batman when he's like Adam West wacky but I, but I right. do Yes, and I no, do no, too, but, but, and I had that weird thing. But you're kind of right, because I don't like Batman no matter what. In <laughs> in a way that, for example, I kind of do for Superman. I kind of do for Green Lantern. Mm, interesting, interesting. Like, I, yeah, will yeah, che- yeah. I will check the books out, even if I'm not a big fan of the creators. Right. I mean, I might not right. buy them. I might right. just buy, but like, an issue to try it, and I'll be so, like, huh, so that's what's happening. Right. But I mean, for example, I have bought for all that time, um, like for the last what twelve years since Rocket took over mm-hmm. Detective, mm-hmm. I've been buying Superman fairly continuously for all of that time. Oh, you know that's true. You have mentioned that, yeah. Yeah. Whereas I would have to say the exact opposite for me, of course. You know. So I mean, it, it helps that I have, you know, with the exception of the JMS issues, which is actually the first time I stopped buying Superman. <laughs> Right. Um, since I started buying it with like Jeff Loeb, mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. which is like 1999. Uh, that was yeah. the first time I'd not been buying Superman title. And like now with George Perez on it, I'm not buying it again. But I picked it up again when uh, Chris Roberson was writing because he was writing right. quote unquote Superman to me in a way yeah. that JMS yeah. wasn't. Mm-hmm. You know, and the thing that's weird is I bitch and complain, but I I think that Jeff Loeb's Superman it was was some of the better Superman comics I had read, and kind of a really interesting high point for the title, at least yes. for me personally. Yeah, no, when when he and Emma Guinness were on it, it was great, mm-hmm. and that was a really good time for the franchise because you had Joe, Joe yeah. Kelly on and Joe Casey. Yeah, 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 exactly. I wasn't so crazy about Casey's work, but I was I was actually really impressed with how great Joe Kelly did with his run as well. Joe Kelly's run was spectacular, and then he did Justice League at the same time. That was just really good. I think Kelly's Justice League is probably my second favorite run after Mm -hmm. After Morrison? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I I think I'm inclined to agree with you, actually. Um, Yeah, he was really strong, and like I said, kind of understated, like sort of under... Appreciate it, I feel. Although yeah. Maybe that's no, that, no, I think you're totally right. I think you're definitely right. So, so yes, um, you, you may think you were tiring me with a Batman brunch, and you may have been, but I totally get what you were saying. Yeah, it was just, I realized after I said it that it was being far too modern era fanboy narrowish, you know, of like, oh, well, if you don't like Dark Knight, you don't really like, you know, the Dark Knight movie, then you really don't like uh, Batman. And that's like the stupidest thing to ever come out of someone's mouth you know? so I want <laughs> to apologize to be fair, for that but to be fair I don't like the Dark Knight movie no 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 but that, totally well I'm not I'm not I know that wasn't the part where I was speaking out of turn ground you know that, <laughs> no no I, I understand what you're saying but I also right. understand why you said it I guess mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like I understand yeah, where it's it, coming it, from and I understand the point you were trying to make I think you were making it you weren't making it well, I guess, but I totally understand what you're saying. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I know where you're coming from, even if I disagree with you. And I think- That's a better way of putting it. I actually love the way of saying, no, I really understand what you were saying, though you were saying it badly. <laughs> and it has to be said dickishly. But I get what you were going for. I just said badly. Come on. <laughs> I don't suppose you picked up Tails designed to thrizzle. I seven, that, did you? that was something else that sold it. Oh, son of a bitch. It's really good. I don't want to spoil it, I'm but sh- it actually has a Quincy M.E. comic in it that is fucking great. <laughs> I have to say, I'm really looking forward to picking up when I eventually have the money, his um, Mark Twain book. Yeah, which, you know, interestingly enough, I had a friend read, didn't like it. Does did- friend normally like Copperman, though? Uh, does like Copperman, but it's I guess it I guess because of the fact that it's by and large it's prose I think mm-hmm. um, if I was understanding him correctly he was like yeah it just wasn't are, it was largely are, prose are, and it right. kind of wasn't that funny. Are you the sorry? What's is, is this one of these awkward moments where you just don't want to say what you really think and you're saying I was a friend? <laughs> yes, like I have all the past other. No, no, no. I'm totally fine owning up to my. Um, clearly, uh, my own. I have not read the book, so I actually feel kind of bad doing secondhand. Like, oh, well, my <laughs> friends say, you know, you know what I mean. Like, just sort of tarring it with a brush and then cashing the the check that Drawn and Quarterly sent me to Bash Banner Graphics, but. Um, you know, but I will do that. And uh, Shit, I, I, you no, get paid by drawing a quarterly to bash fine graphics. Does, doesn't everyone? 
Oh, I'm telling you, between this and the Tucker Stone interview, I'm definitely doing comics wrong. <laughs> nice swerve. Nice swerve. Before we get there, should we go there? Let me also mention Pope Hats. Have you read Pope Hats? No, and yet it sounds weirdly familiar. Why, why does it sound familiar to me? Well, I'll tell you why it sounds familiar, because ironically enough, I picked the issue up like as a total like looking at the like walking around the racks at comics experience cover caught my eye picked it up flipped through it and I was like holy shit how did I not know about this no more than two days later it might have only been a day Tom Spurgeon ran a long interview with Ethan Reilly R-I-L-L-Y who is the 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 writer artist cartoonist of Pope Hats so if you follow Comics Reporter and you've been reading Spurgeon's you know, amazing series of it's, holiday it's interviews. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, really was the subject of, of an entire issue, and I'm sure I'm mispronouncing his name. And I think you would really like it. I mean, it's... The work is... Well, maybe you, I don't know. It, 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 it part of the parts, of, the parts of it that look like Pope Kevin Huizinga. Have you been reading Pope Hats for ten years? Even have you? Old? Yeah, like you're not, you know, because you were read, you know, back when it was like in full color and comical. No, 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 no. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to think of what the like. There's one half of the equation that you would love, which is his cartooning is phenomenal, and it reminds me of Kevin Huizinga's work in a lot of ways if Huizinga's work was like and this may sound weird but tighter somehow like if you can imagine no no no, no. That, that totally makes sense to me yeah um, so but it's the second half which I'm not necessarily sure that you would dig as much which is I want to say to me it strikes me as a having a strong Klaus influence you know uh, like Somewhere between Klaus and Huizinga, you know, and uh, and and I'm sure you, I'm sure the guy would be like, "Ha, Adrian Toma and you motherfucker," you know. But it really, it's gorgeous work. It's I mean, it's gorgeous work, and the the main story is about uh, a girl who works in a law firm and is kind of like on the verge of trying to figure out what she wants to do with her life. And her roommate slash best friend is an actress, and they have very different lives, but they're problems intersect in various ways and it's just it's really lovely effective slice of life stuff that is just devastatingly brilliant and then the second piece Gould Speaks which is one person's monologue while riding on a I don't know six hour bus ride to Montreal is very Kevin Hazinga-ish, very influenced. I feel by like the second issue of Ganges, and um, and you, and you're selling you know, this to me well. I I do know, really want to read it. Yeah, it's by Ad House Books. I haven't read the first issue. It's about the same price as um, as Leviathan Strikes. It's six ninety five, and it it really was phenomenal. Like I picked it up and had that kind of moment of like, holy shit, why hasn't everybody talking about this all the time? And, you know, and of course they have been, I just haven't been following the internet. So I totally recommend if you, if you next time you go back or you end your end up over at like, um, floating world comics or something like that, go, go grab it. I think you'll like it. I, I shall do. Excellent. Do you want me to make you entirely jealous uh, about comics? And I'd also provide a spectacular punchline to last week's guest. 
Yes. As you'll remember, last listening to Jeff, um, we were talking about comp copies that I got from DC. And I made the joke that they didn't love me because they weren't sending me anything expensive. Do you remember this? Yes, I do. Because it do you, stabbed what, me through the heart when I re-edited it. What do you think I got in the post? It's day. The next day, Jeff. What do you think I got? I don't, I don't even know. What I'm not even paying attention to the swag. The Bottle City of Candor. What? What was it? <laughs> the Annotated Sandman, Volume 1. The ridiculously big hardcover. What? Have you seen this book? <laughs> oh my god, Graham. Oh my god. Oh, you suck so bad. <laughs> I can't. Oh. I do suck really bad. I bet you just opened that up and laughed and laughed <laughs> and laughed. Oh my god. And I That's some bitching thing. I to you. The whole thing. Oh my god. Dude, it's not even out for like another two weeks. Like, in theory, if you wanted, you could probably like no, it's, sell it, e- it's eBay out. that shit. Just look. What's that? It's out next week. I've just looked. Oh, is it next week? Yeah. No. No, it is. Dude, no. It's, just, it's like January 4th. It's next week. Oh, okay. I was looking at Amazon, and Amazon says January 10. But it makes sense that it would hit the shops a week earlier. So. so but it's, it's really odd book. I mean, it's really, really strange. Yeah, I mean, I have to say, like, I'm envious more at the concept of it than the fact that you actually have a copy of the end. This, this is what it's like. If you've ever thought, I wish I could have the first 20 issues of Neil Gaiman's Sandman in black and white with occasional annotations, that wow. is awesome. Wow. And not only is it in black and white, some pages aren't even the line art. It's like they've just scanned the page of the art and just turned it into grayscale. But it's not it's not coherent. Like it's not like this chapter is it's like this page within this otherwise chapter it's gonna be grayscale. Wow. Um really weird book. That doesn't sound great, I'll be honest. And I don't mean that in a bad way. It'd be great if I was even a even a big Sandman fan, like I guess, but I'm just I'm just you, not. you know I I think you'd have to be do you know what I think this book is really aimed at? Mm-hmm. The hardcore Neil Gaiman fans, like the exactly. hardcore Neil Gaiman fans, or someone who has to study Sandman in college. Mm-hmm. Wow. Because ca- the casual fan is not going to... The casual fan should just buy the, the absolute Sandman. Right. Right, right, right. Which I assume that if they put this in black and white, they sort of did that to avoid competing with it, I, I suppose? I guess. I have no idea. Huh. If I put this in black and white, actually for me, it is a real drawback. Especially mm-hmm. if it's not all line art all the way through. Yeah, yeah, that just seems like a weird, weird and bad choice, you know? Like, really odd. Um, and it doesn't look like... Is, it's, is it annotated by... It's annotated by... Not entirely that, by Gaiman. By no, Leslie it's Clinger. It's not annotated right? at all about Gaiman. Oh, man. It's annotated wow. entirely by Leslie Klinger who has interviewed Gaiman and Gaiman provides an, uh, an introduction well that's it hmm. it's a really odd book it, it's it feels more than anything like mm-hmm. Vertigo desperately trying to make some more money from the Sandman right um, but if Gaiman's introduction is to be believed it was his idea really yeah 
Why, what, what? I mean, does he say? It, his, right his introduction. Here. His introduction is essentially. I can't actually. It might be Leslie Klinger's introduction. Someone says essentially that he was like, I can't remember what I was doing when I made all the choices for Sandman. We should do this before I forget entirely. Huh. Hmm. Yeah, that that's that's kind of a shitty reason. But yeah, that's. Uh, I mean, you know, I mean, that's why else would one annotate, really? But and frankly, most most books, you know, like I, I think of uh, the annotated Lolita or the Gravity's Rainbow Companion. I mean, both written by not the author, so it makes sense. I'm just, I'm sort of like, huh, that's you know, it, it's not a bad thing. It just, it's a that's very weird. That's really, really very weird. It's a it's a really odd book. Um, you know, hopefully there's someone else who's like working on it where they're like, "Hey, we need to release a you know the first twenty issues where we have pop up annotations on the digital copies of Sandman and see how see how that works." Oh, that would be lovely. Like, it, I could see be this be I could see this being a spectacular like, you know, digital comic plus pop exactly. text or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But um, mm-hmm. I think I've just dated myself by saying pop-up hypertext. <laughs> um, <laughs> you may have dated yourself twice. I mean, I, that's I like, know. yeah. Um, <laughs> but I, I don't know, it's just, it's a really, it's an odd, odd book. It's it's mm-hmm. not a book that, it's not even, because of the format, it's not even a book that you feel you could sit down and read as a comic. Right. Right, it doesn't. It sounds like an uncomfortable, like you said. It almost sounds like the sort of thing where someone's reading through the through the regular, some version of Absolute Sandman or something else, and coming across something and going, "Huh, I wonder if." And walking over to their shelf and flipping through to see if there's an explanation for this very weird choice on this one page. Yeah, it's it's, it's 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 a it's a complimentary text, which it's complimentary know, text for fifty dollars then. It's just wow. I mean, like, that's, I, 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 but don't get me wrong. It's a big fucking book. <laughs> oh, I'm sure it would be. But what's the point if it's fucking black and white? You know, I, I, like, yeah, that's that's what I'm saying. Yeah, you know, it's like at that case, at that point, scale it down. Like I really enjoyed um, that first, <coughs> excuse me, volume of Jess Nevin's annotations for the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen that I think Monkey Brain put out a couple of years back. You know, that was. Even though most of that stuff was on the web, I bought it. I it was it was good reading. I didn't necessarily go back for the second volume, but you know, like that's what you should do if you're going to do an annotated text. Like make it something that is an actual reference tool, not a disguised, disappointing art book. You know, which just well, sounds like it is. Yes, that's pretty but much. On the other hand, pretty much what it is. Uh, you I'm got it if, for free. Yeah, I'm trying to see if it it doesn't have a. It doesn't have a uh, dimensions on the, the website, sadly. Mm. Um, Hold on. Uh, twelve by twelve by one point five inches. Yeah, I'm weighing that, that, five point nine pounds. There, there you go. That sounds right. Yeah. So, but so I mean, like, it's a it's a chunky book, mm-hmm. but it's not necessarily a readable book. <laughs> <laughs> ah, reading's overrated for books, anyway. Um. Which reminds me, did I tell you that there was a third volume of Crying Freeman that came out on the Dark Horse Digital um, uh, app? You know how much I love the first two yes. volumes. Yes. Wait, wait yeah. when you said this reminds me, is it unreadable? No, actually, I real well. Let's put it this way: it's 
If by unreadable you mean reading it makes you feel like you should go to jail, then yes, it's unreadable. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Why? I, you know, it's it's just wrong. It's just wrong. Like, I realize, like, when I'm telling everybody, this is the greatest book ever, I really didn't bother to say it's... By the greatest book ever, I mean it's the guiltiest pleasure I may have ever had, you know, since I stopped being a teenager. Like, this thing is racist and misogynistic and, well, no, I take it back. It's racist and it's sexist. Like, because what happened was I got volume three and I started reading it. And as is the case sometimes with manga, I'm like, I have no idea what the fuck I'm getting back into so I opened up volume 2 which was easy as pie because it was right there in the iPad and I read the last I don't know 60 pages of it and I think I might have mentioned like um the volume second volume of Crying Freeman ends like Crying Freeman has gone from being sort of a brainwashed assassin against his will who like weeps tears whenever he kills anyone for the uh powerful Chinese triad to running the Chinese triad with his awesome wife and being King Awesome who rides around naked in his tattooed submarine, um, which is so good. Anyway, <laughs> where the other gangs of the, it looks like the other gangs of the world are declaring war on him. So I forget the name of uh, essentially the the Africa's largest organized crime society declares war on Crying Freeman's society. So they set this ambush that ends up killing off the majority of the the board of the triad who all sacrifice themselves to save crying freeman because he's their head boss and super awesome freeman with his you know large like incredibly obese usually naked female bodyguard go to africa with the goal of crushing you know the african group that had you know launched this this devilish ambush can I and, just say, as soon as you said go to Africa, I was already like, oh no. Yeah, dude, it's, ooh. So, mm, so yeah, so I was <laughs> like, I, it moves into some, like, maybe this was progressive for Japan in 1975, but chances were even people in Japan in 1975 were like, oh my it, god, dude, this is really not, is I'm not t- comfortable t- with t- this. T- is it Tintin and the Congo racist? Not using that traditional iconography, no. Um, but, um, you know, uh, you end up with these... Basically, you like, let's just say if you ever wanted to see like how awesome people were by their ability to take exotic um, knives and throw them into white women's vaginas, it's... Uh, uh, and let's face it, nobody wants to see that. Like, I think what? the artist must have driven the drawn the pages blindfolded. What? Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. And I'm like, huh? I wonder how I didn't even mention this before, because I'll be honest, that does happen before the end of volume two. And I'm like, I'm loving this, you know. So I'm sorry, I'm having out. a nervous breakdown. I'm too sad. <laughs> oh, Graham, uh, forgive me. Oh, Jeff. So what? What's happened to you, Jeff? I know. I know. <laughs> no, it's so bad. I'm just like nobody. Well, like now, I know what you're doing New Year's Eve. 
oh, what, going to jail? Like, I really did have this feeling where I was like, I can't believe I recommended this to anyone. People are just going to, like, but it is. It's absolutely insane. And I'm, I hate to say it, I'm in love with Volume 3 all over again because what happens is he manages to kill off the, um, the you know, exotic cooch-killing assassins uh, with his powers of awesomeness, and then he meets the ultimate... Um, knife wielding you know uh, the the leader of the the african crime society and of course it's a uh you know a body you know a woman with uh you know bodybuilder's body so it's like this you know black woman with just naked as hell you know with enormous muscles like flexing and posing her buttocks at him and then essentially they have a very odd they have the world's weirdest showdown essentially where they are fighting and it's you know she's all but ready to kill him and he's he's she stabbed him and he's sort of bleeding to death and he stabbed her and then you know of course she's like naked and she's sort of like beating him up with her nipples and then then weirdly of course sex happens and they have managed to join forces the two their two crime organizations are now one and she serves under him and i'm just like what so it and it goes on from there then they go to japan you know what's great normally i'd be sarcastic and i'd be like this sounds great but that's kind of a joke i'm kind of like i can't even be sarcastic this sounds like the weirdest fucking comic that's ever been made it really is weird. It really is. It's in. It. It is. This is what people of the 20th century had to make do with until Tarot, Witch of the you know Black Rose came along, and I have to say they were getting by okay. I finished a volume like I finished like there was in volume three. There's a whole section where Crying Freeman's wife. Um, basically takes a cursed sword from him so that he won't be killed by it because it kills whoever its owners is owner whoever owns it and she decides to remove the curse and it involves her and the obese naked female bodyguard going to Kowloon City in China to try and find um the people who uh, the, the 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 Japanese swordmaster who's hiding out there to get her to remove the curse, and somehow it ends up with her being surrounded by nine hundred guys who are like intense on like raping her, and they're like take off your clothes and dance with the sword, and she does such an awesome sword dance that comes from such a place of love and bliss that she summons crying Freeman who's riding naked on his tattooed hang glider into Kowloon City. It's it's mind-boggling. It's mind-boggling. It's, it sounds... <laughs> it sounds honestly like you're making this shit up to me. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? It sounds like that joke that I was saying like about. You're like, what can I just say to it? It sounds absolutely insane. Yeah, what sounds like batshit? It's like I picked up the batshit uh, Mad Libs and like ran through it. Um, like crying Freeman Mad Libs and then read it back to you. It's like, then he comes in on a tattooed hang glider and is awesome. But no, it, it's, it all <laughs> happened. It's And is awesome. Well, I'm glad that you're reading the weirdest fucking comic in the world. I hate to say it, Graham, but I am too. I really am. <laughs> I love how you started off by going, I'm going to jail. And then you're like, I'm so happy I'm doing this. <laughs> Yeah, and so... that's the journey of Jeff Lester, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> right there for you.
<laughs> yeah, yeah, that is that is awesome. Uh, so anything? We've got about ten minutes before your hard stop, right? Is that right? I, well, our hard stop was twenty minutes ago, so that we could have our ten minutes of gossip. <laughs> oh shit! Damn it! Like I, totally I, like I have to be up. gone in ten minutes. Okay, okay. Well then. Um, any closing thoughts for the listeners before we jump? Is there something that we've left out? <laughs> for our sudden stop, uh, here's my closing thought for listeners. I'm sorry we have just stopped, listeners. Uh, I have a dinner date uh, that I have to go to, and I'm sorry that my social life has, once again, I believe for the third week running, completely yeah. impacted our our podcast recording. Uh, I promise you I will be a hermit after the holidays, and we will be able to talk for as long and as pointless conversation as you're used to here on Weight Watch in 2012. Wow. Lovely. Well done. Like, I can nice. just put the put the little closing music, whatever it happens to be, like a bow on that, and we are set. I think you should just sing. I think you should just end up. You should have a Weight Watch song. It goes, Weight Watch! Weight Watch! Wait, what was that part? With Jeff Lester. Oh, I thought you said Wait Forever, and I think that would be great. Like, wait, wait what? Wait, wait forever. forever. <laughs> uh, but that would only work if you then came out. You're like, we're not doing a podcast this week. Come back next week, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, on that note, listeners, we will we will see you next week. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs>